The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. In celebration of their newly launched WCI newsstand platform, Wing Chun Illustrated is giving listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast a free one-month all-access subscription. Go to wcinewsstand.com and click the register button in the upper right corner. Use voucher code FREE4U, that's F-R-E-E, the number 4, and the letter U, all caps. Don't forget to activate your account by clicking the link in the welcome message. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Dudes of Kung Fu. Please welcome your host, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. And we are back. Dude, how are you, man? I'm doing really well, man. It's uh, great to see you so consistently. Consistently, sorry. Consistently. I'm a little, I'm a little drunk. Sorry, I apologize. Watch how, watch how you say consistently, you. Consistently. <laughs> What's well, new and exciting, man? Uh, well, it's just another another week in the Kung Fu hustle that is my life, uh, working on the next book, working on an instructor training platform for my association, and uh, also um, working on the next Kung Fu Genius video. So, yeah, between teaching and training, I, I feel like I have a full-time job now. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I'm actually uh, working on, um, with my son Johnny, this idea of uh, the JKD blueprint, that, that, that little... I don't want to say brand, but that name that I have, and um, building it out maybe into a little bit of a like a sub podcast for us, mm-hmm. you know, just doing some interviews with some JKD people, all under the Dudes of Kung Fu name, That's and awesome. uh, you know what I mean, and um, you know, I, I just kind of feel like it would it would be like a I don't know a nice thing. I I actually did a nice interview with. Um, I think I, did I mention it last week that I was on another podcast, the JKD. Yeah, we, we did we did talk about it. You had just done it last week. Oh, he was such a gentleman, and I really enjoyed the format. And I've I've been I've been saying I wanted to do like a one on one with some JKD instructors, not big famous JKD instructors. Like I I was saying like blue collar JKD instructors, <laughs> like you know what I mean. And, and I just really I I find that interesting, and um, I, I'm trying to put put the. Uh, Dot the T's and cross the I's on that one and get it going, you know? Right, right, right. Hey, that'd also be a great name for a sub-podcast, uh, Blue Collar JKD. <laughs> right. Listen, you never know, right? It's, uh, it's, but it's true. I got to find I'm, – I'm, I'm, I kind of pride myself on being this blue-collar guy. Right. You know, even though I worked on Wall Street for the last 35 years, I've, I've always been a blue-collar guy. And um, and even my I agree, JKD – I definitely agree with that. You know, and that's that's – I don't look at it as an insult. It's okay. Right. Yeah, absolutely. No, not in me, me neither. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, I think, you know, like I also feel I'm I'm a blue-collar kung fu guy. I roll up my sleeves and work. Right. You know, you know so it's... that's what it is. So, uh... So, you know, uh, speaking of, uh, um, like, YouTube and videos and stuff, you know, last week I had talked about my latest video coming out the, about this kind of phony Kunto form that exists in the Leung Ting lineage. And right, it came the, out, uh, the four-stripe Adidas form, you said. The right? four-stripe, yeah, which is one of my trademark phrases, I get. I guess, when, when something is fake, uh, I call it, you know, it's the four-stripe Adidas version of. And I remember uh, I, I first used that term a few years ago when somebody asked me about the Shaolin Temple in China. Because the that that current Shaolin Temple that that tourists yeah, flock sure. to, 
that thing was basically made in the 70s after the Chinese <laughs> government realized they could earn money with Kung Fu because of Bruce Lee. Right, uh, sure. All of that stuff was basically made. It was rebuilt in the 70s. It's a fake temple. So I always say that, you know, that, that temple, that is the four-stripe Adidas of Shaolin temples. So uh, it's kind of become my catchphrase. Uh, so anyway, this Kunto form... Uh, Long story short, it was basically a made-up form by one of the EWTO instructors, and it kind of spread like wildfire, but under the radar, and meaning that like the guys at the top, like Sifu Kanchbeck and Leung Ting, they never heard about it, because this thing was kind of spread like secretly among the instructors, like sure. it's a secret form, and... Um, and it lasted, I think, for 20, 25 years. Or, or no, about 20 years, this fake form has made the rounds. And it only recently got the attention of my my Sifu when one of his instructors was going to teach a seminar on it. And he's like, what the hell are you teaching a seminar on? Right. And right. so I, I felt I was one of the few people kind of qualified to discuss this because I learned that fake form back in Germany some 20 years ago, only to find out when I started, when I became a private student of Sifu Ting to find out, oh, this was total nonsense, and I didn't even know how to properly hit a wall bag, but I could do this fancy form with all these zigzag combinations, up, down, 10 sets, whatever. So I basically debunked it, and then Sifu Kenspect reposted it on his very large Facebook page. And uh, Sean, since Monday, which is the day he reposted it, I've been getting about five friend requests an hour for, <laughs> for five days now on my personal Facebook. And uh, it's almost like it's – I have so many requests. I have, I think I have close to a 1,000 requests now in one week on my personal page. Wow. And, and um, so – and anyway, and I know maybe there, you know, there might be some people who uh, are fans of the podcast or whatever. And uh, I just, I just want to tell you guys um, I'm overwhelmed with friend requests right now, and I don't know who 99% of these people sending me requests are. And if you guys are really interested in following me on Facebook, I have a public page at Sifu Alex Richter. All my martial arts stuff goes on there. If you are a friend of me on my private page, it's super boring family stuff. It's not Kung Fu Genius stuff. So if you guys want to follow me, please follow my public page. I And I feel really bad if, if I know you or you're a fan of the podcast and I didn't respond to your friend request. It's nothing personal. I literally this week, I have so many friend requests in there. I, I just don't even know. I would need to dedicate a few hours to just sift through it at this point. I don't think I can. So I really apologize for that. But uh, anyway, the video took like wildfire. Some people got upset because they really want to believe this form was a real thing. It's as it's fake as hell. I even know the guy who made it up. And um, but the, the response was overwhelmingly positive because I talked about, you know, it, it's not bad to make up a form. At some point, Tsunam Tao was a new form that was made up by someone. Right. Right. This um, is true. I remember the, when I the, did it. The, the, yeah, the, the, the point is not that, you know, f new forms or training methods cannot be made. Um, and I wanted to make it really clear in that video that that's not what I was salty about. What I'm salty about is when people make up fake nonsense, give it a Chinese name and then pretend that it came from a grandmaster. That's, right. that's sure, where I go. Sure. Okay, now, that's just misrepresentation. If it's a good method, then it should stand on its own regardless of who created it. So anyway, uh, thank you guys for all the support. I really appreciate it. I apologize if you're trying to befriend me on Facebook. I'm just massively overwhelmed. And I got a public page, which is way more martial arts specific anyway. So anyway. So uh, something you just said, if you don't mind, something yeah. you just said kind of generated a question in my head that I've never thought about before. And I wanted to know if you don't mind if I just ask you something off the cuff. And I apologize yeah. if it's something you don't want to talk about. 
No. Okay, so you, I know you're a Sifu. I can't say his last name, but the uh, the, the gentleman in Germany. <laughs> the gentleman in Germany. Right. <laughs> I, yes. I, I don't want to say his name wrong. That's fine. That's fine. So I know he's your Sifu. Yes. So now you just said that you became a personal, a private student of Lung Ting at some point. Yes. Did you, again, I'm sorry, I just, it just, I found it interesting. So yes. the, how did, how does that happen? So like, do you stop calling your Sifu Sifu and then refer to Lung Ting as your Sifu? Like, no. how does that work? Like, I know, like, I think properly he would just be Sigong and, or yes. something to that effect, but, mm-hmm. but like, uh, do you stop mm-hmm. training with your Sifu? I, I don't know how that happens. Like, uh, well, actually that's a, that's a really good question. Um, the, the Wing Chun system and Yip Man in particular, um, you know, there's some real conservative lines within Yip Man Wing Chun that believe, <laughs> you know, your, your Sifu is always your Sifu and that's the only person you can learn from and so on and so forth. And, um, people use that to kind of prop themselves up if they're a student of someone famous, but they also use it to push other people down. If someone is say a grand student of somebody, right? Oh, that person's just a grand student, but I'm a direct student. But basically people who push that narrative are admitting that Wing Chun gets shittier generation to generation. <laughs> and, and if that's your outlook, then, um, then already don't forget if Yip Man is the eighth or ninth generation from the founder, uh, then Yip Man's Wing Chun must really suck because he's eight generations out from the person who created it. Right. So if you're if you're sweating one or two generations, and I'm sorry, Yip Man is number eight, then his Wing Chun must be terrible. So this is kind of a very bizarre mindset right, right, right. that conservative lineages like to use it to their advantage, and the narrative is totally broken on that, and it doesn't make any sense. But anyway, um, Yip Man himself was known to teach his grand students. So... Um, Leung Ting famously was originally a student of Leung Seung, who then later became a private student of Yip Man. And contrary to popular belief, Leung Ting never called Yip Man Sifu. He always called him Si Gong in respect to his original Sifu. So um, that was kind of always the case. So there are people who kind of unfairly attack him on that. Um, but he always called Yip Man, he called him Man Gong. Man, the man from Yip Man, he called him Man Gong, which is like Grandpa Man, right? Right, sure. So, b- because even though Leung Ting had a falling out with his first Sifu, uh. um, still according to Chinese genealogy, his first Sifu is still his Sifu. So even if his, even if he's on bad terms with him, he still has to call Yip Man Si Gong. So for me, um, the the WT organization is a little bit bigger because it's so big. The EWTO has sixty thousand members. All right. Wow. So sometimes your Sifu might be someone who's like your Sifu on paper, but you might might not be actually learning from that guy. You might be learning from a Sihing instead or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. Although Sifu Kanspek is my Sifu, I learned mostly from my Sihing. So I was ri- kind of raised in the Wing Chun family, and I only became closer to my Sifu in later years, right? Not at the beginning. When I was a, when I was a baby, I was raised by my Sihengs, right? And right. then I, I, I got to know my Sifu a little bit later. But when I came to the States, um, because my Sifu doesn't teach in the States, he only teaches in Europe, the U.S. was under Leung Ting's jurisdiction from an organizational perspective. Right. So all the, all the instructors, I, I wasn't the only one. Many instructors had the chance to learn from Sifu Leung Ting. And Although I was his private student, I always called him Si Gong. That was very clear. So you know, I learned, I learned more from my Si Gong than I learned from my Sifu. But I'm also 
very influenced from my, my Sivu has influenced my Wing Chun in other ways. And my Sigong is the one who kind of taught me more by hand the advanced stuff. So, um, and by the way, for people who think that that's not traditional, first of all, Yip Man taught Leung Teng, who was his grand student. And Yip Man also taught famously Tang Sang, the famous detective that I talk about, right? And Tang Sang, get this, he was a student of a student of Leung Sang. So he was actually one generation lower than Leung Ting and then also became Yip Man's private student. So this idea that like grand students don't learn from their Sigong, there's absolutely, you would have to really try hard to prove that because there's plenty of um, uh, evidence to the opposite. And I don't want to draw up any kind of old past political things or right. whatever, but um, Sivu Yip Man had a falling out with one of his first students. I'm not going to say exactly who it is. Yeah, um, and 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 Yip Man was kind of salty about something that had happened. So Yip Man actually taught a number of the, his students' students. So in other words, his grand students, almost to revenge on that student that he was <laughs> mad at. Right. So um, uh, Leung Ting was was one person who learned from his Sigong, but there are actually a number of other examples of grand students who learn from their Sigong and even in Tang Sang, a great grand student who learned from his Sigong. So um, I believe that Tang Sang actually called Yip Man Sifu, but that's because Tang Sang was kind of like a big, a big fish, so to speak. He was a famous detective, very influential. He was also, you know, a, a very special person in his position in Hong Kong. And I think that Yip Man accepted him as a Todai, but that just meant that he could call him Sifu, but that didn't mean that he learned more or less than anyone else who learned from Yip Man. So that, that's basically the story there. Oh, very interesting. You know, speaking yeah. about um, generations and things to that effect, I, I, I used to get asked that question a lot. There's a thing in Jeet Kune Do about uh, who's, you know, uh, first generation, second generation, third generation. And it upsets people a lot. Um, I never really cared all that much about it well i should say in the beginning it would it would bother me if people would try to lower me by a generation mm. and then at some point i was i just kind of like i got really comfortable with the idea because people say are you second generation or third generation meaning do you consider steve golden bruce lee's student or dan santos and you know i i don't care but I finally got really, really comfortable with the idea that I'm a first-generation student mm -hmm. of Steve Golden. Right. That's all that matters to me. You know what I mean? Like, like, why should I worry about am I third-generation or second-generation to Bruce Lee when I've never met the man? When I, I, sure, my teacher is influenced and learned from Bruce Lee and and Guru Dan Asanto. But all everything that Steve teaches me, everything's been filtered through Steve. So I consider I once I got hip to and comfortable with the fact that, hey Sean, you're a first generation Steve Golden student. None of that other stuff mattered. And the people right. say, Are you from third generation or second generation? I would always answer, whatever makes you happy. Because <laughs> I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Right. I'm first generation Steve Golden student, and and I couldn't be happier for it. You know what I mean? And that's yeah, that's that's that's, yeah. that's that's I really think that's the healthiest take on this whole generation debate in Jeet Kune Do. 
right. it just it, it just because it gets crazy you know it's yeah. like you know was the person a member of the school while Bruce Lee was alive and never met Bruce Lee it's like they have all these like factors that are going into it and and you got to see some of the most ridiculous arguments on Facebook about it. Mm-hmm. That it's just, it just people just want to be angry all the time for some reason. Right, right. And whatever I could do to not be angry, that's what I'm going for. It's just, <laughs> it's just an easier life that way. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people find psychological comfort in things like what generation are you, blah blah blah, to the founder, because ultimately, look. If like we've discussed and this is usually your talking point which I really love you always say like look do you enjoy it does it fulfill your life like you're playing guitar like right, you're practicing right. this this is I think people overlook this more than anything else and it's like for some reason the fact that you enjoy learning something or practicing something or doing something doesn't seem to be enough for people they always need to have these kind of strange ad hoc <laughs> justifications like well, I am a such-and-such such generation as if someone who's going to punch you in the face on the street cares what generation you are. That's you know? exactly and, right. And, 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 and taking comfort in what generation you are to Yip Man or Bruce Lee or Dan Inosanto doesn't amount to anything in terms of your understanding and your skill and, and, and also how you are as a human being and how you are as a martial artist. It's like these are things people take comfort in, but they don't mean anything at the end of the day. No one props you up because you're a whatever generation to a whatever. They, at the end of your life, when you, when, when you are gone and people talk about you, they will talk about your accomplishments and not you know what you did on your own and not, oh, you know, so-and-so was such a great person. He was a first-generation student of so-and-so. End of story. That is not a mic-dropping eulogy, all right? You have to produce something that people will talk about, and you will not be held up by what generation of whatever you were. That doesn't, that's meaningless. Right. You know, when, when you come, and I think those arguments, and I, I'm going to annoy people here, and I don't mean to, but, but I don't give a fuck. Um, <laughs> I think those arguments subconsciously come from a lack of confidence. Yes. Or, you know, I think they come from, I, I doubt my ability on some level that I don't talk about with my friends, that I need to have something else that puts me up on that person, even if I'm not as good of them as them. 100%. You know, so, okay, so my punches may not be as crispy and straight and, and, and timed as well as your punches, but fuck you, I'm second generation, you're third generation, so you have to respect me. Right. And I, I really think this idea of um, self-doubt and lack of confidence leads to so much of this fantasy martial art bullshit that... It, it, it's just it's why you don't see it and I hate to be a broken record here but it's why you don't see it as much in in combat athletics yes. you know because it's all based on skill right you know what I mean like or or something and again I go to it all the time like my guitar I'm, I'm realizing now as you're talking I have a guitar teacher this a young man that comes to my house once a week to teach me guitar he's fucking phenomenal Arguably one of the best guitar players I've ever seen in person. I have no idea where he learned how to play guitar. <laughs> you don't like, know his lineage? I don't know his lineage. I don't... I. It never even dawned on me to ask the guy, the kid, because he's only a kid. He's like 20-something years old. 
Mm-hmm. Hey, where'd you learn how to play guitar? Like, like you know what I mean? Like, yes, he's skilled, and he can teach. That's all that matters. Right. You know what I mean? His guitar playing is all the proof I need. I don't need to know what generation he is to Les Paul. You know, it's <laughs> so it's just if you're if you're if you have confidence in yourself and if you don't and if you don't let that self doubt creep in, then you can be more emphatic in your beliefs and you can be more positive in what you speak about because you know it to be the truth. And all that comes from real training as opposed to bullshit training. So if you if you are spending all your time hitting a heavy bag in your basement, on some level in your head, you have to know you're not training about fighting. All your training is how to hit a heavy bag in a basement. Because right. you know on some level that fighting is the interaction between two or more people. So you have to, there's this idea of this dynamic of movement and angles and, and, and all that that cannot be replicated by a heavy bag hanging in the basement. That it requires people moving around under supervision of someone knows what the fuck they're doing to, to create this dynamic and it's this laboratory for you to grow. And when you, when you grow in that kind of real laboratory of fighting, it, you develop a self-confidence that's earned as opposed to a self-confidence based on bullshit. Yes. And when you have self-confidence based on bullshit, then I then all of a sudden it's you worry about what generation you are and right. what your Sifu's lineage is. And did your Sifu have, you know, 20 minutes more than my Sifu had, you know, mm-hmm. with a man 35 fucking years ago who died at 32. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like <laughs> it's it, it just seems, though, that the more... I, I notice that the more people are concerned with the bullshit aspect, the fantasy aspects of martial arts, you discover the less they've actually trained in a real environment. And I'm not talking about just sparring. I'm sure, you know, two assholes that go in the backyard in Long Island or out in Queens or in Brooklyn and just beat the shit out of each other for a while with headgear and gloves, that doesn't mean they're training. It means it's two assholes that beat each other up. <laughs> you know, uh, sparring has to take place in a, in, a, in a martial arts laboratory, and, and that laboratory needs a professor, and, and that professor has to know what the fuck they're doing in order for you to grow in, in a positive way. And all that will lead to will lead to true self confidence. And the more self confidence you have, the less martial arts fantasy you need. One hundred percent agree, brother. Um, hey. Um uh, not the smoothest segue, but actually we had a, one of our uh, followers on Dudes of Kung Fu um, Facebook, which, by the way, guys, thank you so much for all the comments and all the posts and suggestions. We got we got tons of stuff to talk about because of you guys, and it's always great to hear what you guys want us to talk about because if you don't tell us, Sean and I will just go on never-ending on whatever the hell we feel like it. <laughs> and it's usually just me making fun of Alex. <laughs> 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 and then me going, you're 100% right, brother. You're 100% <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, one of our um, Facebook page uh, uh, commenters, uh, Brooks Long, 
asked kind of a three-part question. One about uh, solo training. What do we think about solo training? The other one was um, what do we think about distance training or, you know, distance learning, maybe like through the internet. And the other one was uh, thoughts on Zhang Weilei, the current female strawweight champion uh, in UFC, the first Chinese uh, UFC champion at all and you know what we think about her training and stuff so um, maybe we'll tackle this solo thing so obviously solo training is uh, is a must for every martial artist you got to put your time at the at the you know at the school with your training partners and you got to put time you may be reading some books and learning and, and exploring but you definitely have to put in the solo time doing the stuff on your own uh, physical fitness stuff hitting the bag you know working on your technique all that kind of stuff um, I don't know what else there is to add to that solo training is obviously uh, i don't know if he's asking us to give us give him recommendations for how to trade solo like well, which well, is a huge it, topic when it comes to training solo and i i always look at when you when you when you're by yourself that's your time to develop your your fitness level and your the your personal development of the crispness of your technique or you know the idea of uh proper technique under stressful conditions cardiac cardi cardiac cardio conditions stressful yes. cardio conditions so like i make fun of the guy in the basement punching a heavy bag that's a great if you're an actual martial artist who trains with other martial artists under a martial arts teacher punching a heavy bag in the basement is great because you know how to punch correctly and you're going to work yourself into a uh, in, in cardio so that you now have to keep the distance with the bag and and, and things that and, and hit the bag at the right time and things that affect and you're doing all that properly. So like you know, I my some of my favorite solo training was on a double end bag. You know, double end bags are just fantastic for for for, for getting out there and moving around. It forces you to move around, forces you to hit a moving target, so to speak. Things that affect things like that are just great uh, solo training. I always enjoyed uh, shadow boxing. Double end bag, heavy bag, jong work. You know, things like that are just great for solo training. What, what's not great for solo training is when solo training is the primary part of your training. Mm -hmm. You know, if so, solo training is a great supplement to group training or to private one-on-one -on -one training. Solo training on its own, not so much. If you know, if all you do is the heavy bag and the double end bag and things to that effect, sure your cardio will get better and your bad technique will get reinforced. Worse. Yeah, <laughs> your bad technique gets reinforced. You you need someone to correct you, and you know what? That includes instructors. That includes instructors. That's why guys that are instructors train with other people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You know, Alex is always working with other people. How many times have we seen him become the student with with um, Maxifu? Maxifu or Magno, one of Henzo's students. You know, like yeah. this, this idea of, you know, when you're a teacher, you still need a teacher or yes. a, an elder or, or someone who can point out things to you that are not right. Now, for me... One of the one of my great situations is, you know, I have quote unquote students that are better than me at this point. So, and my ego is not to the point where I sit there and say, you know, I can't take direction from that person. He's my student. So 
I, I have students that can point out, oh, listen, you're dropping your hand when you're moving forward. Like, you know, I, 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 I like that. I, you know, I'm, I'm all about that. So it's, it's also, you know, this idea of solo training is great if it's a small part of your training. Yes. What was the other? So, so the other one was just thoughts on like distance learning. Uh, so I assume like doing right. online courses or doing Skype sessions. I know um, uh, one of our very early podcast uh, guests was uh, Burton Richardson. And I'll often see that he'll post that he did like a Skype session with someone on like, you know, some stick fighting or something like that. And obviously um, when, when I look at the guys that he's doing the sessions with, they, they seem like they're already instructors or they're people who train regularly. And then, you know, they do like a Skype session with Burton, I assume, to sharpen up their skills or get new inspiration or learn some new things. And it's definitely a powerful tool. I do it with some of my instructors who, uh, like we have an instructor in Egypt now. Right. And then so he'll do Skype sessions with me and I'll, I'll correct his Buji form and do stuff like that. But that's supplementary to the fact that he also comes to New York and learns from me. And he's also teaching and training with his own guys. And right. uh, exactly like, right. I think like like what you said about solo training, solo training is important, but it's one component. I think distance learning can be very helpful and inspiring, but it cannot be the whole thing. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly. I agree 100 percent. I actually like some of the ideas of the whole distance learning because there are people that live in situations where they they just don't have, you know, access to a, a live instructor. Right. As, as much as they'd like to for yes. whatever reason for financial reasons for practicality in their lives reasons yeah. they live it's in just, Pennsylvania or whatever listen yeah I mean it is what it is you know I mean so not everybody can be lucky enough to live on Staten Island so <laughs> listen I get it don't be a hater alright motherfucker I'm just the saying only thing cool, the only thing cool about Staten Island is the Wu-Tang Clan end of story <laughs> You know okay, the Wu-Tang so, Clan comes from Staten Island, right? Are you calling me the Wu-Tang Clan? Because I'm fucking cool when I live on Staten Island. <laughs> well, I, but you're, yeah, but you're not from Staten Island. So that, I'm that, not that, from that, Staten Island. Yeah, this is so true. They, I make that distinction, right? I'm from Brooklyn. I wouldn't even date girls from Staten Island, all right? It was like, <laughs> hey, so you get it. To a certain degree, you get it. <laughs> no, no, okay, no. I wouldn't even date girls from Staten Island, but I wouldn't even talk to people from Queens. So... <laughs> <laughs> Well, then it's a good thing I'm not originally from Queens either. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm from I'm from a far worse place. So um, yeah, and then the final uh, the final part of that was uh, um, Brooks asked about uh, Zhang Weilei, who is the uh, current female strawweight champion. She just uh, her last fight, she won the belt from Jessica Andraj, and now she's going to be fighting Joanna Jojacek uh, in I think this coming week or the, the fight is coming up or maybe in a couple weeks or something like that. Um, well, first of all, Zhang Weilei is amazing because she is the first Chinese UFC champion of any division or whatever. And I was, um, I was in Hong Kong last August when she had her fight and man, Sean, it was totally crazy. You could not walk anywhere in Hong Kong without seeing an advertisement for Zhang Weilei wow. versus Jessica Andrade it was like on every bus because really? this was yeah, because this was the first time. And even though Zhang Weilei is from mainland China, and I was in Hong Kong, but it's still like sure, the, sure. the the first chance that a Chinese person could really be the a UFC champion. And I don't know if you saw that fight, but she took care of Jessica Andrade in the first. I think in the first round. 
know, I probably saw it, but for some reason I'm drawing a blank on it. That's why I, I you know, I hate I hate to pretend like I could speak about something I don't know about. You know what right. I'm saying? Well, um, so my uh, my recommendation would be to go on YouTube and look up uh, Zhang Weilei like highlights. Her fight with Jessica Andrade was amazing, and of course, as a Wing Chun geek, I saw like a lot of her, like the way she did like the neck pull elbow, which obviously they have in Muay Thai. I'm not saying right, it's right. a Wing Chun technique, but the the way she did her elbows and the way she did her clinch and her knees, and then the way she punched up the middle when she finished it, is very very kind of standard Wing Chun that that we teach, and it was super cool to see her. She's really good with the side kick and the straight kick she's really fantastic and she's also been training in thailand i think with uh i think with sanchai or one of like you know one of the thai legends or whatever she's incredible and uh, i'm super excited about her fight with yoana I, I i don't i don't think yoana is going to be able to beat jung i think jung is just way too powerful um but again you never know in mma who the hell knows um but uh yeah so i would definitely uh I would definitely check that out. And also, um, similar question, Steve Strutt, another Facebook uh, follower, asked about the upcoming Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder boxing fight. Um, I don't know if you saw that they had like a press conference a couple days ago. It got into a shoving match. This is their rematch. Which, yeah, sure, uh, sure. The tie last time or something? Yeah, yeah, it was. And a really amazing fight. And uh, I'm a huge Tyson Fury fan. If you ever, uh, if you don't know much about Tyson Fury, I would recommend listening to his podcast with Joe Rogan because then you'll really see what just kind of an amazing human being he is, uh, and kind of the odds that he, you know, he had dealt with depression and a bunch of stuff. Um, I'm super excited for this fight. Um, I'm not a huge like I don't usually go out of my way to watch boxing, um, but uh, this one definitely, definitely seems like something worth watching. Yeah, my son John's coming over. We're gonna watch it and. Awesome. Yeah, we'll have a good time with that. Cool. I actually uh, have a question also that from the uh, Facebook, our Facebook yeah. group. Um, Michael L., who is a uh, friend of mine on Facebook, wrote a question that boils down to, hey, Big Sean, how can someone with no JKD experience determine good JKD versus garbage JKD in watching, say, YouTube videos and things to that effect? Well, quite frankly, it'd be pretty hard to. If you have no JKD experience, it's pretty tough to tell what's good JKD versus what's bad JKD. However, let's say you have you you have experience in martial arts. Let's say you've been doing Wing Chun for a couple of years, as I know Mike has. Well, then it's a little different because you you've already a martial artist, and you have a a base or a background to build from. You have, I guess, a martial artist's eye. And I would say when looking at specifically Kundo on uh, YouTube, now I want to preface this by saying I've never done this. I've actually never looked at, I don't remember ever looking at Kundo videos like in depth, like going down any kind of rabbit hole on, on, on YouTube. It's just not something I do. But um, I would say... Don't look for technique-based videos. If you want to talk about good Jeet Kune Do versus garbage Jeet Kune Do, I've always, I've always felt that garbage Jeet Kune Do was Jeet Kune Do based on technique. Meaning, this is the Jeet Kune Do technique. Why is it a Jeet Kune Do technique? Because Bruce Lee taught it in 1967. To me, that's garbage. Not that the technique is garbage, just that the teaching is garbage. Because it's based on bullshit. It's based on something that's meaningless to me as a person. What's what's in, what's impactful to me is the, 
and impactful to my growth as a martial artist is one, understanding why Bruce Lee did something in 1967 more than how he did it. And two, understanding the dynamics of what it goes into doing the technique rather than just the technique. Um, techniques, people that just list techniques are just, it's like, it's like me teaching you the alphabet. Yes, it's important, but you don't know how to read because of it. You don't know how to, you know, I, if I teach you the alphabet, yes, you have to learn the alphabet, but that's, you know, first grade English. University level English is different than first grade level, first grade English. Understanding how people control distance, the dynamics involved, um, this idea of how to suck an opponent into positions that they're not comfortable being in and placing themselves and their hands and their, their weight distribution in ways that they don't like doing, um, turning them without physically touching them. The, the, this is university level GP know. Anything that's based on strategy, tactics, the ways of manipulating a situation, that's good JKD. That's high level training. Anybody can teach you how to punch. Almost anybody can teach you how to throw a straight lead. It's easy. The hard part about throwing a straight lead is understanding when to, how to, how to put your, more importantly, how to put your opponent in, in such a position that they can't defend the, the straight against the straight lead properly when you throw it. When you see videos that go into that, that's good JKD. And I can almost guarantee you, you won't find that on YouTube. <laughs> well, that makes sense. Hey, Sean, give me a second. I don't mean to interrupt. I got to go grab some water. I, I had a tough workout today. I'm a bit more dehydrated than I thought. I'll be right back. I finally got the show to myself. <laughs> Fuck this guy. I'm going to shut off his microphone. I'm actually going to just talk some more. So I was thinking that you're not going to find a lot of videos like that on YouTube. Title Jikundo. Rather, look for, look for YouTube videos on fencing strategy. Look for videos on the tactics and strategy for boxing that's really where you're going to find high level Jikundo in, 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 the, in the development in, in, in videos that are based and used for the development of a fighter as opposed to videos that are based on just adding more techniques to your repertoire you know it's, it's Alex is back so I have to go back to sound like an idiot <laughs> no, so I, I really just feel like if you if you really want to you want to watch videos on Jeet Kune Do, that's good Jeet Kune Do. Don't search for Jeet Kune Do. Search for fencing. Search for boxing. Search, you know, search that you know what really because you know you have if you have a good Wing Chun background, you have a Wing Chun Sifu, you have that you have that base. Look at look at high level fencers, see what they're doing. 
Look at high-level boxers and see what they're doing. Try to understand what they're doing to manipulate the situation. That, that's good JKD. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> hey, that's my line. <laughs> <laughs> so we had, a, we had a main topic for tonight. Yes, we have a main topic for tonight. The, uh, the, the main topic tonight is on pressure in Chisau. Uh, forward energy, forward pressure. How do you, how do you know? How do you determine what's the right or correct or needed pressure to have or use while rolling cheese out? You know, um, there's guys that are just tons of forward energy. They just like it's like a truck barreling into you. There's guys that it's you know that you can barely feel them, and and. You know, and, and then there's everything in between. Right. So uh, what, what's some of your thoughts on this, Paul's man? Uh, well, I think this is a, again, this is kind of a very nuanced question. Maybe uh, not the easiest to kind of, you know, these, these are things that usually require some kind of visual demonstration. And, right, and stuff sure. Like that. So I guess we'll, we'll do the best that we can with our limited vocabulary, uh, especially Sean, uh, to get uh, to get the idea across. Hey, I, love <laughs> I wish the audience could see your face right now. <laughs> Listen, first of all, I'm so fucking good looking, the audience always wishes they could see my face right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know how I look, brother. I, I listen, I got it. It's George Clooney and it's me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, l like you said, you have people who kind of, the, the amount of pressure they use in cheese house is like kind of a Mack truck coming straight at you, like very heavy pressure, usually one leg in front of the other kind of barreling in. I usually call that tank cheese house. And then you got guys who are kind of like, you know, soggy chakra hands, no pressure. Like you feel that if the breeze blew by, they would fly away. And then you have everything in between, right? So um, I, again, this is one of those things. I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer because it depends. If you have a style of Wing Chun or Jeet Kune Do that requires you to have really heavy pressure for you to apply the techniques, then obviously you have to train your chi sao according to that because if, if for me it's like everything has to fit right. So if your style is about go you know barreling in and overwhelming your partner, then you probably need to use that more tank style chi sao. If your style is about moving out of the way and cutting angles and borrowing power, then you're probably going to have a more flexible approach to chi sao with you know some kind of light springy forward pressure rather than kind of intense Mack truck style. And if you are, uh, you know, a kind of let's feel the chi energy, then, you know, you're going to have like light as a feather pressure. So um, it's it's definitely not an, a matter of right or wrong. Um, we have a, a very specific way we do it in the Leung Tang system. And um, as I've told you before, before I started WT, I was doing non-classical Kung Fu in Seattle, Washington, and my teacher um, was primarily a student of James DeMille and had also trained with Ed Hart, so two of uh, Bruce Lee's early period students. Uh, that style that I had learned as a teenager was super heavy forward pressure. So you had one leg in front of the other, you tilt your upper body slightly forward and you kind of like, you're pushing from the back leg with an intense amount of pressure. 
And that style really taught me a lot about the idea that your arms are spring-loaded and they go, you know, if your partner's arm is not there, swum, they're going to get smacked, right? Because that was an extremely forward, like kind of forward-driving pressure kind of style. And I learned a lot from that, and that has certainly influenced me even to this day. WT is a little bit different. The pressure is supposed to be kind of flexible and springy, so if the arm goes away, our arm lashes out like a, like almost like a whip. And if you press our arm rather than holding it, we will use that power to push ourselves out of the way, kind of like a, a revolving door or a turnstile. If you push us, we don't oppose it. We'll just move ourselves out of the way, but we'll maintain enough pressure to stay safe. So Sifu Lengting, one time, somebody asked him this question at my school, and uh, he, had a, he had a very uh, interesting answer. He got a... Um, uh, at, at that time I had a hardwood floor and I had like an office chair, you know, with wheels on it. And he sat on the office chair and he, he took his feet off the ground. So basically he's just sitting kind of suspended in the office chair. And then he put his hands out and then he had someone push his forearms. And then as the student, he said, just push and walk forward. And as the student pushed and walked forward, he just allowed himself to be pushed away with the, um, with the chair. And he said, I only need enough pressure to move myself away from your attack. Any more than that, you can use against me. And that's why, uh, w the reason why I kind of stopped using that super heavy forward pressure kind of non-classical version was because when I use that super heavy kind of forward pressure way with my grappling buddies, right, yeah. they were all about snapping up my neck and taking me to the floor. <laughs> and I was like, damn it, right? Because the funny thing is, Everything is contextual. So I learned this non-classical Kung Fu style in Seattle as a teenager. And I would often visit traditional Wing Chun guys, like classic, you know, wing, sure. like traditional Yip Man lineage guys. And I would run right through them because most of them had that kind of like soggy chakra. Let's just feel the pressure flow. Right. And I would literally run right through them and be like, um, yeah, I have nothing to learn from you. I was a very arrogant teenager. by the way. Oh, that, 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 that hasn't gone away. No, not at all. <laughs> you're, you're not arrogant at all now, Alex. Not at all. You, you're just Mr. Like nice guy. I'm just. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, good. It's good to be known for something, right? So, um, you know, you know so I, I would like, I would, I would go and visit these traditional schools that say, let's do chi sao. And of course, they normally did chi sao in the traditional Wing Chun stance or in some kind of parallel stance. And I had one leg in, and I had one leg in front of the other. You know, very like sure. non-classical go, and I would just literally run right through them like a Mack right. truck, right? And then I'd be like, forget this guy, forget this guy, and then. Um, I did it to a couple of my grappling buddies where we just got in close and we were clinching and um, they started to like, like um, neck snap me down when I would come in they would or they would go under and just pull me down and I'd be like, oh geez. But the funny thing was I took a JKD class uh, <laughs> while I was doing this non-classical style and I, and I fared fairly well against the JKD guys because, and of course this is not a knock on JKD yeah. because JKD is like, it, you know, it depends on who's teaching it to you, right? So this Absolutely. was uh, this was the guy I had mentioned a few episodes ago about Larry Hartzell, where I had learned from this guy, and he claimed to be a student of Larry Hartzell. And after training with his students, I didn't believe it. And I wrote an email to Larry Hartzell, and he wrote me back, and he was super sweet about it. Um, but, like, I fared really well against the JKD guys, so I was like, all right, so I guess I'm on a good path here. And my grappling buddies were like, yo, why are you rushing into me? 
and 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 then when I first met a WT instructor by the name of Ralph Hanel in Vancouver, he showed me because I never understood how the the Wing Chun stance could work against someone who's trying to press through you and rush you. And it wasn't until I met my first WT instructor from Germany uh, that you know I tried to press him with that style, and he literally almost threw me on the wall, but using Wing Chun, not grappling. And then I was like, he just turned his body out of the way, and I was like, what? You can turn laterally and move out of the way? <laughs> so then my that extreme type of forward pressure, um, and again, and I'm not trying to say that I was the perfect um, – model of that style because that style that non-classical style i did in seattle is a great style and uh the people who teach it are really great and they're really great fighters this is more just how i used it after three years of training in that style so it's not a knock on that at all um but i definitely saw that i i as a smaller person it, it probably wasn't the best idea for me to learn a tank style of chi sao trying to run through somebody. I needed something a little bit more flexible with a little bit more lateral motion and some something where I could I could deal with someone rushing at me. I could deal with someone moving away, and I didn't assume that I could just run them over by stepping straight in in one line, right? So for me, that's why I like the more nuanced, flexible learning style. But that's pretty much as much as I can explain on a podcast. One of my um, favorite experiences with uh, Chi Sao, Steve Golden does a few a few really interesting things with Chi Sao. And I feel like it's all, I, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, and it's generated a lot of conversation. A lot of what Steve teaches with Chi Sao leads to what I call no-touch Chi Sao, where it's, it's just... Just out of Chi Sao range, I'm sure there's a term for it, where you you learn to manipulate with footwork and angles to deal with it, it's it's just the it's just picture Chi Sao and a step backwards. So anyway, in dealing with regular Chi Sao though, where, where where we began with, I remember when the when when I first started learning from Steve, I would equate it to this picture. Every time you go to grab a doorknob, the door opens out and you kind of find yourself falling forward into this empty doorway. And then you kind of almost get comfortable with that, that you're laughing. You know, you, you, you're, you're rolling, you're moving, and you go to hit or grab or whatever, and you kind of just find yourself falling forward into emptiness because the door opened out. At that point there, just as you get comfortable with that idea in your head, the door opens in. And you go to reach for the doorknob, you go to hit, and next thing you know, you're literally stepping into his fist in your face. The door opened in. And it used to drive me fucking nuts. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it led me on this... Um, this path to try and get really good at Chisao. It never happened. I'm not that great at Chisao. But I, I, it, it, it led me to learn to examine Chisao. And I used to love this thing that Steve did. I don't know if you would call it a politrick or, or whatever you want to call it. But I, I remember being fascinated by it. He could have you stand there with your eyes closed and, and you'd be touched in a Chisao position, right? Fuxao, Fungsao. Down south, and close your eyes, and then he could 
while regaining or keeping the same exact pressure, move to your sides. And he would tell you, okay, open your eyes. And he would be standing to your side. Well, he'd still be touching your arms with the same pressure and you'd feel the same like angle on your arms. But he stepped off six to nine inches. And it was just wonderful that he was able to move in a way that you couldn't feel it. And, and I remember him saying to me, like, if I can do that when you're not pressing in it, imagine what I could do while you're pressing in. So that little bit of pressure in that I would give to him, would, would, he, could, he could collapse his arm or fold his arm in a way that he could gain distance on me by my own work and take my center. And that door opening it into my face. And all that led me to believe, uh, come to understand to believe that when it came to Chi Sao, the right amount of pressure for me was to use the right amount of pressure. <laughs> you know, it's dynamic. It changes. It changes from minute to minute, second to second. It changes by what are your goals? What are you dealing with? Are you dealing with someone with heavy pressure? Are you dealing with someone with light? If you're dealing with someone with heavy pressure, your pressure has to be heavy just to deal with that until you can decide or feel what has to be done. If you know, so the right amount of pressure is the right amount of pressure. It changes with minute to minute, person to person. There's to me to say, oh, it's heavy pressure all the time. Oh, it's light pressure all the time just shows a lack of depth of understanding right. to the dynamics of Chi Sao. To, you know, the Chi Sao, to me, is part of the lab to teach a lesson. So Chi Sao is, again, not about fighting. I think we all can agree that Chi Sao is not, is not fighting. It's, it's a drill. It's part of the lab. So it's, it all depends on how you plan on using Chi Sao and how Chi Sao is being, how the other person is using their skills within that lab of Chi Sao that are going to determine how much pressure you're going to need to, to hang in that lab, that, right. that laboratory of combat, you know? That if um, I, I started rolling with a person and they, you know, they step in hard, step in hard, step in hard. If I just collapse my arms, I'm going to get fucking destroyed. So I need enough, and I need as much as much pressure as I can, as I need to keep my arms structurally correct until I want to change the dynamic. You know what I mean? So to me, that's the right answer. To me, for me, the right answer is I need the the right pressure to be the right pressure, and right. and there's no such thing in my eyes as you know, a set answer as to what the correct amount of pressure, you know, to within Chi Sao. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, nowadays it seems everybody likes to look at everything in a very binary way. You are either team super soft or your team super stiff because you're either internal or external. And as long as people always look at martial arts or any kind of topic in these kind of very binary ways, 
uh, you're going to have a really hard time finding the true answer, which is always something in between. We call this the Goldilocks effect. Not too hot, not too cold, just right. Now, what just right, right is, like you said, is a moment-to-moment difference, right? This idea that you either have to be, uh, you know, because, for example, YouTube is like this now. You know, it's like 10 reasons why you shouldn't train cardio in your fitness routine. And then the next video is is 10 reasons why you shouldn't strength train and only do cardio. Right. And it's like it's like because this binary thinking of you're either like all about forward pressure or not about forward pressure or your style is internal or external or you like to spar all the time or you don't like to spar all the time. People always want to look at it like in these very binary ways and martial arts like most topics in life is far too complex to kind of put it either all your eggs in team this or team that. And um, it's it's funny, people like conflict, you know, and like even my YouTube videos, the ones where it's all sunshine and rainbows, they get very little views. The ones where I'm talking shit about a fake form or calling out people for calling themselves grandmasters, people love that stuff. The views are, are like through the roof, you know, and, you know, it's unfortunate, but people kind of like that. But with, with, forward pressure this is a this is not a team this or team that you have to adjust uh your pressure you also have to adjust your style i tell my students if you do cheese out the same way with two different people you're not doing it right if you have um if you have somebody who is like uh um someone who's trying to smother you well you should be flexible moving around and trying to light that guy up like a christmas tree and if you got someone who's trying to rip your head off you should smother that guy and try to slow him down you know the old maxim never box a boxer never wrestler wrestler so if you got someone who's a dynamic striker your cheese house should be about kind of eliminating their ability to hit you and smothering them and if you got someone who's trying to lumber through you you're you should probably try to light that guy up so there they're gonna be you know differences depending on the style of partner you have depending on what they're coming at you with so yeah these are these are very nuanced topics i think almost impossible to adequately explain so but i think we did an okay job yeah i think it was a lot of fun i think uh, it was uh, yeah. i think uh, i think we gave some good information i hope the I hope the folks listening are are enjoying it. Take notes, folks. There will be a test next week on this shit. <laughs> hey, you know what's funny? I had no idea how much do people went crazy about our ninja topic uh, a couple episodes ago. Like, people love ninjas, man. <laughs> well, listen, then you know what? I think I think I should get my ninja outfit out. <laughs> yes, I am I would lo- sure yes. in the basement I have a ninja toes down there somewhere. Awesome. You, we should do it next Halloween, man. Listen, did you? There's one thing else we have to add to the podcast tonight that we didn't do, and I know we have a few people that ask for it. Do we have something in Cantonese for me to learn? Oh yes, uh, that's right. You 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 know what you did mention it to me uh, a bit earlier. And uh, I totally forgot to come up with something because part of the problem is I sometimes forget what we've already done. So I'm like, oh, oh that's fine. We're so do I. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like, like I'm, I'm always like, um, are we going to do the same one again? And then people are going to be like, because you know, like some of our podcast fans, they know our podcast better than we do. Like, they're going to be like, yes, on 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 episode twenty six, you actually said this, and now you're saying it's this, and then you're like, oh my god, man! Like, although I, uh, st- I still use Fidila, yeah, Fidila, yeah. Hurry up! This is this is a a a, a really um really important one. So um, all right, well let let's see here. Um, well, give me an idea. Do you want to do something that's a technique? Do you want to do something that is just like and kind of an all-around slang? Or what do you want to do? Okay, so for, for tonight, we can just do anything. 
But what I'd okay. like to do going mm-hmm. forward, if we can, I'd like mm-hmm. to go through the Wing Chun maxims. Okay. I think, like, um, I just think that would be educational for everybody involved. Uh-huh. I think it would be, it's fun. Okay. And um, so I think going forward, we should come up with a list of the Wing Chun maxims or a okay. list of Wing Chun maxims. And, and even if we've touched on them before, let's, let's, let's make it a series. Like, let's, you know, every week we have one Wing Chun maxim that we're going to just teach me how to say in, in, in uh, Cantonese. Yeah, okay. Well, hey, you know what? In the meantime, while you were talking, I just figured out which one I'm going to teach you today. So this is kind of a, this this is not a uh, this is not a Wing Chun thing. This is kind of a, a a slang thing, all right? So the first word is bao. Bao. Yeah, so bao like B A A U. Bao, kind of long, kind of dragged out a little bit. Bao. Bao, and the second word is sec. Bao sec. Yeah, so like S-E-K, but like on a lower tone. So it's like bao sec, bao sec. Bao sec. Bao sec. Bao sec. Okay, so bao means to explode, all right? Think of like pow, right? Bao. Right. Bao means explode. Sec means rocks. Explode rocks. Bao okay. sec. Now, can you guess what you think explode rocks means? Explode rocks. Mm-hmm. This means is a Cantonese slang. It means to have a... A, a temper tantrum or something. No, it means to have diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee. So, so like when you go to a, a Chinese restaurant, they would have, so should have something on the door that says Bao Sec. Yeah. Like, like, you're gonna end up like, yeah. So basically, if you're at a Cantonese speaking restaurant, in the middle of the meal, you should get up holding your stomach, run to the bathroom and say, oh, Bao Sec, uh, Bao Sec. <laughs> <laughs> just run. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so so literally uh, explode rocks. <laughs> All righty. Which is great, yeah. All right, well, on that note, folks. <laughs> this is a lot of fun, folks. Thank you. We'll see you all next care. week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com slash support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the Dudes, you'll get early access to episodes, as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the Dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com slash support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the Dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. 
Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!